Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello, I'm Scott Sochner. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the Going Back to Old Trafford sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Going Back to Trafford. Trafford, Trafford, going back to Trafford. <laughs> I don't think so. I thought he was going to Man City. It seemed for a while like he was going to go to Man City, and then he did the uh, same city, different team uh, loop-de-loop. We're talking, obviously, about Cristiano Ronaldo, Scott, two weeks after Lionel Messi, the other top-tier A1 global soccer star in the world, changed teams from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo seemed to be unable to be outdone. He's leaving Juventus, signed a pretty hefty transfer fee and a new contract with Manchester United. And and the interesting thing here, I I think for a lot of people, Scott, we said going back to Old Trafford 12 years ago, Ronaldo left Man U for the first time. It's the place where he became a global soccer icon. And it seems he may be ending his career, at least in Europe, in in England. Yeah. And of course, he went to Spain for Real Madrid while Messi was at Barcelona. Thank you. I'll say it that way. And then over to Juve. And I remember when we did the story about the Jeep sponsorship of, uh, of, of Juventus and how they would benefit from this. And now he's on the move again. The question I have is, and I don't know, and I know we do the business, the business, the business, but let me ask you a soccer question because you probably watch it a little bit more than I do and will know the answer more than I would. What is he at? He's 36? 36, where, yes. Where is Cristiano Ronaldo in terms of soccer stardom at age 36? I mean, I think he's pretty high. Uh, he, you can look at the numbers at 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 uh, at Juventus. He certainly performed. Um, I think maybe even better than a lot of people would have thought. I think there's obviously no question that 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 performance is going to decline a bit. I think, and and you said we're business and sports show. I would argue that for both Ronaldo and for Messi, signing either of those players is only just partially about how good they are on the field, right? It is also a move towards the jerseys they're going to sell, the increase in sponsorships it might cost to associate uh, with these players. I think all those things uh, become kind of part of the consideration. And when you think about Juventus, you know, Juventus signed Ronaldo to this hefty, what was it, a four-year, 200-something million dollar uh, contract in, in, in the end. The hope was that he was going to pay for himself, and he didn't. Now, you can argue the pandemic probably had something to do with that. This was not exactly the uh, the 2019 and 2020 seasons that uh, a lot of people envisioned for, you know, not just for Juventus, but for soccer teams around Europe. Um, but it's certainly a risk when you're willing to spend this much. And, and I think maybe one of the reasons why 
the, the, the number of teams interested in Ronaldo seem to actually dwindle kind of towards the end is that, again, it's, it's, it's a huge price to pay. I think he's going to be the highest paid Premier League player ever. It's just a massive price to pay for someone who you say is 36 years old. I am loving that you talk so much right there, frankly. And, and, and I will say what other people don't admit. I didn't hear a word you said because I was on my phone here looking at the, uh, the NASDAQ real-time pricing at Man U. Like a lot of people don't realize, some might not, that publicly traded company, Man U. Where are we now? Prices at $17.51. We're down 4.26% on the day. The initial bump was about 9% when word came out that he was going to Man U. Um, I, to do and so do we fall back to earth like i i don't see now in the initial trading unless something weird would happen now it doesn't look as if there was any major sway up down immediately yeah and we'll see again that that's that's a good metric to just to show that the the initial buzz kind of wore off a little bit um jersey sales and again team partnerships are going to be two of the other i think major ones you're also getting just a massive individual marketing platform as well when you sign him. I, I, this number Give me his Instagram. Go ahead. Not. Give it to me. So what do you think is a higher number? Cristiano Ronaldo's Instagram followers or number of humans in the United States? Uh, depends. Does the does the uh, homepage photo on the Instagram, does he have a shirt on? Does he not have a shirt on? <laughs> we'll go with semi Because <laughs> I know on the soccer field, he more often than not has the shirt off. So uh, I, will, I will say, wait, so that's there's 330 million or so people in the U.S., right? Am I, am I right on that one? Nailed that, yep. Oh, all right. So I know, like, I should obviously say over because that's where you're going on this one. But I would say if I was being honest, I would have knee-jerk said he's got to have fewer than that. Well, it's actually the over. He has 335 million followers, as I looked it up before we recorded, and there's about 328 million people in the United States. So that, that gives you a sense. It's it's the highest following for any single person's Instagram account out there. The Rock is number two at 266. So he blows away the competition. Um, and that is a, that, that's also massively valuable for, for, for Man U. Every time he posts a photo of himself in a Man U jersey on Instagram, that's going out to a larger population than the United States. States. Um, and those are people largely who are who are soccer fans. So th there's so much to consider economically around signing Ronaldo beyond just whether or not he's going to score goals, whether he's going to help Man U advance in the Champions League, etc. This could be far better than AMC. And I wonder what Aaron, Aaron, uh, Adam Aaron would have to say. What if Cristiano went on his Instagram and told everybody, I want you to buy $100 or $200 worth of Man U stock? <laughs> like help us out, everybody! Like let's pump this price up. Oh my god! Yeah, Is that you really an could... SEC violation? No, he could, <laughs> I mean, he allowed? can go out and ask that. Just hey, everybody, I'd love you to buy Man U stock. He can go out and say that. Yeah, I guess that he can't give like projection totals. For yeah, he wouldn't say deliver. you're going to get twelve percent yeah, yeah. return annually, but you could say <laughs> I just like you too. You know, I'm here now. Let's help the Glazer family. And how about from a PR move, by the way? And you can't discount this that you know when you had the Super League idea, and obviously Man U was involved there. And the, the fans stormed Old Trafford and stopped the game and they're hanging the Glazers in effigy and like they had to show up at, at the field and, and actually talk to the fans. This guy is beloved by that fan base. Like this is a home run from a PR perspective. If I'm an owner, I'll pay the price, whatever. What was the transfer, transfer fee? 17, 18 million bucks? Yeah, I think it may be but, a little more than that. All right. Well, hey, medals, that's fine. Yeah. No problem. I'm, like, I'm not hated anymore. And uh, you, you can't discount just from that perspective. Uh, as an olive branch between ownership and a fan base that was really angry at the possibility 
of secession um, that th- there's certainly a, a, an, an element of uh, platitude here that you, you brought back the favorite son. I agree. I thought the New York Times actually did a, a fun story over the weekend, just kind of outlining how this is part a business decision, of course, when Cristiano Ronaldo is involved, it always is, but also part kind of a, an emotional choice on his part. It did seem, as you said, for a while that he was likely going to go to Manchester City, a team that, that when he was younger, he said he would never play for under any yeah, circumstances right, right. because of the rivalry there between Man U and Man City. Um, I know he is very close with Alex Ferguson, the longtime Man U manager, really felt like Allison Excuse me, excuse me, level of disrespect, thank you. (laughs) Sir Alex And you know I say that with tongue firmly in cheek, (laughs) but excuse me, sir, the level of disrespect you just showed him. He yes. believes that Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, he owes a lot of his career uh, to him. I know he was texting with Patrice Evra, another longtime Man U great. It does seem as though a part of this was also kind of the emotional tie that he feels to Man U and also the tie, as you said, Scott, that Man U fans also feel towards him. Segway alert. Is there another former Man U star that maybe you'd like to discuss a little bit on this show? <laughs> Thank you very much. There Put is it indeed. on the tee and Novi Williams... Bryson DeChambeau's it 400 yards down the Let's fairway. talk about David Beckham and oh, Inter yes, Miami. Oh, yes, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Some news that we broke last week, Scott. Um, Inter Miami, a, a big equity stake in the team, just sold internally. Jorge Mas, who is David Beckham's partner in the team, just bought out the other two minority owners, Marcelo Clare, former Sprint CEO, and Massa Son, the uh, co-founder and, and or founder, sorry, and, and chairman of, of SoftBank. Um, it's about eight, 48% stakes are just under half that Jorge Mas and his brother Jose are buying. Scott values the team between 600 and 650 million dollars. I feel like every week now we're talking about an MLS valuation in some sort of stake sale, either the full or a minority stake that is bigger than I think a lot of people expect. Yeah, so we're talking enterprise value there. So it's equity and debt. And just want to make sure people know what we're talking about there. But yeah, um, you know, Don Garper was on our event when we talked about valuations. And I think the price uh, what was attractive about MLS not so long ago was the price point for entry. It was like, well, if you can't afford a this or a that, you know, you can get an MLS team for, we're catching up to the other league that we were talking about. No, it's not the one over one and a half billion. I get it. But the fact remains now that it's just not an easy in. There, these are significant boosts in the valuations. And I find it very interesting that MLS is in the throes of renegotiating or negotiating a new media package. And the pressure that is on Don Garber, and I would say these incoming owners, because like, no, we're not sitting at the table, but man, oh man, a big part of the puzzle when you're trying to figure out what these teams are worth, and you know, Kurt Bodenhausen can certainly speak to this, is what is the new media deal going to be, right? Yeah, I don't know. Is it 1.4x? Is it 2x? There's so much demand for content and the streaming services are in there and fangs are in there and soccer is popular. It's a great demographic for advertisers. But as as we've seen with with others, you know, you you got it, you gotta get gotta get the bids. Like you need multiple bidders to drive up that price. I'm not sure how many folks are gonna, you know, show up. With, uh, with the intent to pay big money for MLS. So I can lay out some of the numbers there. Right now, MLS is in an eight-year deal with ESPN, Fox, and Univision. Uh, the, the total price on the deal is about $90 million. However, 
from what we understand, um, that includes U.S. MNT and U.S. Women's National Team games, right? That when they sold that package, uh, all of those assets were part of Soccer United Marketing, which we've talked about in previous episodes. Now that Soccer United Marketing and U.S. Soccer have separated, MLS is hitting the market and talking to people without those assets, right? So, so when you think about the $90 million breakdown uh, per year, that is automatically going down a little bit, right? When you think about the prices that they're paying. It's so, not apples to apples. Now you're selling apples apples just apples MLS games. Means. MLS yeah. is also starting to think about, you know, ways to beef up that package. I believe a lot of the local rights that teams have been selling on, on very short-term deals are going to be part of this package as well. So if Amazon wants to get a piece of this and, and do specific local deals, I think there might be be an avenue there. Um, but it, all that means that the, the money here is not huge for Major League Soccer. Deal. I mean, let's just say two thirds of that 90 million a year is for MLS and the other third goes to, to the U.S. soccer properties. That's $60 million a year divided up by 30, 30 something teams, right? It, 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 we're looking at 2 million, maybe maybe $3 million in that range per year for media. That's just not a lot of money. Even and, and if fair it doubles to say that we're not going to 10x on a new deal, right? It's fair. We're, we're, you and I will agree we're not about to 10x exactly. on this new Deal, right? You know, so so even if and, and this is where I think part of the narrative around how important this is for MLS is definitely important. There's no question about that. But but even if this triples, I, I don't think MLS teams are seeing ten million dollars a year from their from their TV contracts, right? So this is a league that is, regardless of what happens, no matter how good these negotiations get, this is a league that is going to continue to be heavily reliant on the non-media revenue streams. It's mostly ticket sales, mostly in-game, uh, at least for the near future. And we have spoken to some of those prospective owners and the current owners. Yeah, they're still just believers in World Cup coming to North America. Lots of games, of course, in the U.S. Uh, they remember what it did for soccer in America last time. A uh, bunch of talented young players playing in top leagues around the world, commanding attention from young audience. Uh, so they just believe that there is a big future for soccer in the United States. We've heard it before. And and. There's certainly progress, and we always do have to remember, as some MLS owners remind us, the NFL and the NBA have been around really, really long time. You know, it's 25 years. It's it's just a you know a small fraction of the time. Let's remember that you know we have a horizon to grow into. And there's a, demogra- a demographic case here as well. MLS obviously has a, a fairly substantial Spanish-speaking Hispanic audience um, that bore out in the numbers from the All-Star Game last week, Scott, where the, the, the English language telecast did not do so well. The Spanish language telecast did very, very well. Uh, MLS will certainly lean into those numbers as they negotiate these deals as well, particularly in the Spanish language side of things. Dígame más, por favor. Yo quiero saber más. Dígame. <laughs> so oh, that the, means tell me more. I did. Yeah, I got that. Uh, oh, good. The, Ooh, so good the, for you. The MLS All-Star Game last week uh, was a new format. MLS All-Stars against the Liga MX All-Stars. So the All-Stars from the Mexican Soccer League. Um, the telecast on, on ESPN, the numbers I have written down here, 107, averaged 175,000 viewers, uh, which is down fairly substantially from just a couple years ago for the English language standpoint. From the Spanish language standpoint, it did a record, average 1.4 million viewers, including a, another record and specifically in the 18 to 49 demographic. Um, now, you can argue that, that part of that is is the format. There's probably a lot of people tuning in to watch the Liga MX All-Stars as well that might not have tuned into Univision if this was just an MLS-only event. But you can see the reasons why Don Garber and MLS are starting to work more and more closely uh, with Liga MX and, and really lean into the Spanish-speaking population here in the U.S. It's because, at least from a from a, 
from a soccer watching standpoint, and you know this, Scott, there's way more people watching soccer games, regardless of the league, even English Premier League or MLS. In there's Spanish. way more people watching in Spanish language than there are in English language. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're seeing that in the interest in Liga MX and US dollars looking there. And I'll never forget what Bob Johnson told me when he became the first black majority owner in pro sports when he bought the Charlotte expansion team in the NBA. I believe the lead quote, I remember I was sitting in the press room at Madison Square Garden, working a Knicks game, doing something or other, maybe just having dinner. You know, I might have lied there. Um, when he called back and we broke the story. And his quote was something to the effect of black, white, doesn't matter. It was about the green. You know, Bob had the money to make it happen. Who cares whether it's English language TV, Spanish language TV, the demographics of the U.S. are changing. And there is a rabid soccer audience here in the U.S. If they're going to watch on Univision, so be it. The fact remains, you can then monetize those eyeballs. As the great John Skipper always told me, just get me the eyeballs. I'll figure out how to monetize. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and when we when we write stories about MLS partners, for example, um, I remember the Adidas, the big Adidas deal that they signed five, four or five years ago at this point, the the Spanish, the, the inroads that MLS and the sport of soccer have in the Spanish speaking communities in the US is one of the biggest drivers for a lot of their commercial things, not just for their media. It, it is the big, re- one of the big reasons why a lot of these companies want to partner with MLS is because everybody in corporate America right now is also thinking about ways to reach new communities. And the Spanish-speaking one is one of the biggest and fastest demographics in the U.S., and that's something that everyone is thinking about. You know what else everybody's thinking about mm. right now? U.S. sports fans? <laughs> the National NFL? Football League. The yeah. National Football Always. League. I, I <laughs> never agree with Scott. You know, I, I, yeah, exa- I, don't, you know, I don't say things just to say them, and it's not, I don't want to anger anybody, but I am very proud. I, I have not seen one snap of preseason football. Like, I, I, I don't care. It does not... I, as you know, I won't watch a heck of a lot of regular season football either, so that's not going <laughs> to surprise everybody. I would encourage people on Sundays to maybe go outside and have a catch with somebody rather than sit on their couch from you know eleven o'clock all the way to ten o'clock at night when the night game's over. If you're <laughs> on the West Coast, you know, remember Eben with the time zones that goes earlier. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it's just me. It's okay. Do what you want. I don't watch a whole lot of it anyway, but. I certainly recognize there's a, a great number of people who do, and we are, we are approaching a season where the two things that interest me the most about the NFL is going to be sports betting mm-hmm. and data mm. because, you know, and, and I, I'm tired of people posting on Twitter and everywhere else. Oh, 2015, Roger Goodell said this. And, you know, they wouldn't let anybody have, a, you know, you couldn't even have a football player at a, at a fantasy sports thing because it was like 200 yards. Uh, guys, I, enough. I, times change. Things change. Okay, we got it. A while back was different than now. I got it. And I will go back to what David Stern told me about sports betting after one of the Board of Governors meetings. And I love these trips down memory lane because I wish more people could just be exposed to it because it was just so black and white. What did he say? When is this going to happen? It it had nothing to do with morals. It had nothing to do with it. David flat out said sports betting will happen when there's enough money for us to make it happen. That was it. It was about how much money can we generate off of this? And guess what? Even with, you know, the Tim Donahue, even with whatever, and I, there's enough money now. 
Now there's enough money. It's an ecosystem to itself. It is it is supporting TV networks. I, I spoke to one head of sales at a regional sports network, and I said to him, and this was in the last couple of weeks, and I'm not going to name it because I don't know if they want this stuff out there, but I said, hey, who's your top client? And his eyes lit up, and he said, FanDuel. And it was like the old days where DraftKings and FanDuel were, were fighting with the marketing dollars. He's like, man, that is a fire hose that has not stopped giving. He just prayed it didn't stop giving. But when you, when you get in, and, and Eben, we have you know, there was top-tier partners, betting partners for the NFL. Now they have some secondary partners. Why don't you explain what that means and what they're, at least in the, next, in the long term, where we're headed with this? Yeah, this is a good way to kind of dive into the way that most U.S. leagues are making money off of sports betting. And what the NFL has done is they signed a trio of exclusive sports betting partners back in in, in May or April. That was Caesars, DraftKings, and FanDuel. Those are groups that are paying a lot of money for commercial relationships with the league. They're also paying to buy data from Genius Sports, which is the NFL's official data partner. Now we have another tier of sports betting partners. There's four more. They're WinBet. Bet, BetMGM, FoxBet, and PointsBet. Those, te- those, those groups are coming in at a slightly smaller price point. They're not getting all the benefits that FanDuel, <laughs> Caesars, and DraftKings are getting. What they are getting is they're committing to buying official data from Genius Sports again for the NFL. They're also gaining the right to advertise on NFL games, live games, telecast, which is something the NFL has not allowed before. Now they're going to start dipping their toe into allowing just a few, I think it's six per game, but just a few live ads during telecasts during the year. What makes this so interesting, I think, from the NFL standpoint is, look, this is now seven sports betting operators that are paying the league directly commercial deals to be official sports books of the NFL. They're also committing to buying data from Genius Sports. And if you remember, as you do, Scott, Genius Sports signed a massive, massive multi-hundred million dollar deal with the NFL earlier this year that included, I think, $450 million of stock. The Genius Sports paid a ton of money to the NFL specifically for this reason, right? Because they knew that everyone who was going to partner with the NFL was also going to have to partner with Genius to buy the data, right? Those things are, are directly tied. And that's so, and by- by the way, it's directly tied because they sell that data to the sports books. And if yes. you're going to have live in-game betting, which if we follow Europe's lead, and we probably should since they've been doing it far longer than the US, you should know that in-game betting c- comprises what? Like how much? I don't want to be wrong. I'm just going to say it's, most yeah, of the wagering is over in-game. Over 70%. Right. In so the, if I'm watching a football game, you can bet on, will this next play be a run? Will it be a pass? Will uh, will this extra point be made? Will it be missed? As it's happening, baseball balls and strikes, uh, uh, NBA free throw, good. No, for, you know, miss the free throw. In game live betting, that is the holy grail for the sports leagues and the betting houses. And official data, pricey official data is actually kind of a, a relatively Americanized thing right now. And, and one way to make sure that it gets adopted is doing exactly what the NFL and Genius are doing, which is essentially making, you know, partnering with the league m- m- require that you're also buying the data, right? So the NFL gets paid two ways. They're getting paid by these sports books to become commercial partners. They're also getting paid a lot of money by Genius Sports to become the official gatekeeper of the data. So those are kind of the two main direct ways the NFL benefits. The other way, which is kind of harder to quantify, is the obvious increased fan interest. 
There's a lot of games towards the end of the NFL season that don't matter for the playoffs and often don't even matter for the fans of, of those teams. But once you have player people with, with an equity skin in the game in each one, um, those games remain interesting. Say and, the word. Come on. Say the jargon. Say the word, Dovey Williams. <laughs> not doing it. Say um, it. <laughs> say actually, it. What word are you looking for? Engagement. Engagement. Yeah, fan engagement. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that's the other way. And that one's a little harder to quantify. I can promise you that in a world where there was no legal sports betting in the U.S., whatever the $115 billion worth of TV deals that the NFL just signed would have probably been a lower number. There's no question that with legal sports betting as it spreads across the U.S., it's also going to increase things like ratings for games across the country, and that's extremely valuable for the NFL as well. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I'm Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves when I remind you that you can find the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of what is soon to become, emphasis on soon, the Sportico Podcast Network. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.